Hey, everybody, this is Pastor Luke McDonald, and this is the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. You're going to find two things in this feed in this season. You're going to find Sunday sermons from our church in Palatine, Illinois, and you're going to find an occasional little piece of content that is towards our initiative to try to help our church read the Bible more regularly. It's called Good with Our Bibles. We're trying to read the Bible regularly, and we're trying to interpret it accurately. And that's what you're going to find in this feed. We are a multi-ethnic Bible teaching life-giving church. This is our little theme song that you're hearing in the background. And uh, it helps us, anything you do, rating the podcast, sharing it, all that stuff helps the word get out. We're not trying to build the name of a church. We're trying to build the name of Jesus in our little local community. And if you found this, I hope it's useful to you. Thank you. Let's listen now. Uh, If you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 18. If you have a Bible, 1 Samuel chapter 18. We're in a series of messages. We're looking at the life of King David. We We have Easter in our sights now. And we're uh, moving forward in that way. So we're looking at the life of King David where we left off last Sunday was maybe the thing that's most known. If you've never been in church in your life, you've probably heard the story about the young guy who gets a slingshot and throws the rocks and kills the tall guy. Uh, Today we're going to talk about the next part in that story, the thing that happens next. And uh, the message is called The Right and Wrong Way to Deal with Jealousy. So I'm going to take you through the whole chapter and... uh, It goes like this. As soon as David had finished speaking to Saul, that's verse one, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Let's pause there for just a second. So this is a picture of deep and lasting friendship. So you can imagine this young man, Jonathan, he's the son of a temperamental king and he meets this guy about his age who... All of a sudden, there's just clearly something happening. He's like playing the, the harp and he's killing giants and there's something on him. And something happens between the two of them where there's this deep soul connection that uh, is a friendship. If you've had people like that in your life, you are blessed. Have you ever had somebody in your life that was like, there's just something about we just like get each other. There's this connection between us. In our world today, unfortunately, a lot of times people, the only way that they have of kind of uh, thinking about that type of connection is to assume or make it into a sexual connection, which it sometimes is, but often is nothing to do with that. There's something about the people. Often it happens in your younger or formative years. I don't know if you have this. I have a few college friends. One of them uh, drops by the church building occasionally, and it's crazy. He just like wanders into my office, and I'm a 19-year-old bigger idiot than I am now, like just all of a sudden, do you have any of those people in your life where you're just like, all of a sudden, I'm like right back there. That's something like what it sounds like is happening here when it just says all of a sudden there, there was a deep connection between the two of them. It says that Saul that day took David and wouldn't let him return to his father's house. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So you can imagine uh, the son of the king, this is Jonathan, he's the prince, and the idea, whether spoken or unspoken, in almost every civilization through human history, is the son of the king is the next king. But I don't, we don't have a ton of visibility into what was happening in Jonathan's mind, but he could see that when David killed this giant, that God's hand was on David in a way where he was the next king. 
We don't know if someone told him that that was God's plan. We don't know if he saw it in a dream or if he just figured it out. But what, what happens there, put that verse back up for just a second. Thank you. He, uh, he gives David the symbols of what should have been his. He gives him the royal robe, the armor, the sword, the bow, the belt. We're going to talk about what that means in just a second. So verse 5, David went out and he was successful wherever Saul sent him so that Saul set him over men of war. What we're supposed to be understanding as we read this is this is not, wow, David's so talented. This is that when God's hand is on someone, nothing can get in their way. So uh, verse 6, as they were coming home, so like the battle was now done, the David and Goliath Philistine thing was done, When David returned from striking down the Philistine, it says that the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with songs of joy, and with musical instruments. And the women sang to one another as they celebrated, Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. So I don't think that we're all so... Christian-y and overly mature that we can't imagine that when word gets round that there's this young, handsome guy who saved the whole country by killing a giant, we can imagine that there was a reason why all the girls were out in the streets ready to sing as he was coming back to his hometown. I think we can all kind of see what's happening there and be mature about it, can't we? Then we all get it. I mean, I see the way that people act at church when someone shows up by themselves. Usually it's a guy and my phone just starts blowing up. Who's that guy? Is he single? Who's that guy? What's his story? What's going on with him? Who's that guy? That's... That's just an aside. Church is a great place to be if you're a, a single guy with like a job and a haircut. You got it made in a church environment. So all really. It's... So the ladies come out and they're singing this song. And it's a, you can imagine, it's a, it's a like I'm, I'm picturing like, uh, I remember when the Cubs won the World Series. Do you remember that? And there were millions of people just partying and celebrating with joy. This is the nation has been saved. Everybody's just like, whoa. So it says that Saul, verse 8, was very angry, and this saying displeased him. He said, they have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. What more can he have but the kingdom? And David eyed, uh, Saul eyed David from that day on. Uh, Learn this if you haven't learned it yet. Usually, the more successful someone is, the more petty and insecure they become. It doesn't make sense that it's that way, but it's the way that it is. I've been a few places and done a few things in my life, and you have too. You would think intuitively that the people with the most success or the most in the bank or the most whatever are the ones who feel the most self-assured in themselves, but I've usually experienced it to be the opposite. Saul's the king. If he was... Like, thinking the right way, he could have said to himself, well, who was the smart guy that put the young man into battle that won us the great thing? They won the battle, he was the king, but he was fixated and focused on the fact that someone other than him was getting the credit, and it became something that bothered him. Uh, We talked a few weeks ago, into the next verse now, we talked a few weeks ago that Saul had an ongoing back and forth, what we would probably call mental health challenge or depression or possession by a demon, pick your label. But it says that it came back, verse 10, the next day a harmful spirit from God, again it's from God, we talked about that recently, rushed upon Saul. So when he starts 
paying attention to things other than God every time this comes towards him. And it says that he there, it says that he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. We talked about this recently. The only thing that could, for whatever reason, figure out or fix this way that Saul would get into, this way of thinking, this manic, uh, aggressive, kind of, it says there the word raving, like uncontrollable feelings and anger. The only thing that could help him was when this guy David played music. So David was playing, and Saul hurled the spear, verse 11, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. He thought, the way that I'm going to solve what I'm feeling in my head is I'm going to kill the guy playing the harp over there. But David evaded him twice. I know, I just would really like to know why David went back into the room after the first time. I don't know what you've got going on at work, but I feel totally comfortable saying, if your boss tries to kill you, it's okay not to go back to work the next day. Do I, can we, are we all, can we be united on that? Well, okay, good, I got a few people with me. Good, good. So, what's happening, right? What's happening is, Saul has become fixated, and when people become fixated, what that word means and that idea is they get to a place where they can't see anything other than the thing that's upsetting them or bothering them. They can't see anything else but that person is succeeding and it bothers me. They can't see anything else but that person hurt me. Why haven't they gotten their justice yet? They can't see anything like, I thought I married the right guy. She married the wrong guy. And she has this beautiful family. And my family's struggling. And I just, and it's this way of thinking that some of us get into because of the way that our brains work. And some of us get into because of sinful choices that we make where we just roll something over and it gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. So the story continues. Saul was afraid of David, it says in verse 12, because the Lord was with him, but had departed from Saul. So Saul had some level of understanding that he was to blame for what had happened. So Saul just got David out of there, that's verse 13, and he had this idea that came to him in verse 15, when Saul saw that David had great success, he stood in fearful awe, for all of Israel and uh, Judah loved David, For he went out and came in before them. David was the young, successful, everybody loves him guy. We don't really have like a way of understanding that uh, in the world that we live in today because now we've kind of got to this place where everything is politicized so like half of everyone hates everyone. I think like maybe, I don't know, like maybe Michael Jordan was maybe like the last one, kind of like everyone was in. It was good, it was good, like... But you can imagine the young warrior and everybody's like, I'm in on, I love this guy. So Saul comes up with an idea, verse 17, he says, Saul says to David, verse 17, here's my older daughter, Merib. Bit of a rough name, if I can be honest. Uh, I will give her to you for a wife, only be valiant for me and fight the Lord's battles. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him but let the hands of the Philistines be against him. So this is an ancient age. So there's these sort of, uh, you can imagine, bride prices, dowries, uh, the son, people are trying to marry powerful families together, this kind of idea. And so Saul says, hey, how about this? If you're willing to like stay in the army and keep fighting, if you're willing to stay in the army and keep fighting, how about this? I'll give you my oldest daughter. 
but you got to stay with me and you got to be fighting. Why did Saul do that? Here's what the text says. For Saul thought, let not my hand be against him, but the hand of the Philistines be against him. He thought, if he dies in battle, nobody can blame me. If he dies in battle, nobody can blame me. If he dies in battle, nobody can blame me, so I'm just going to keep sending him out to battles till he dies, and then they won't be able to talk about David anymore, and I'll have what I want. David, David says, look, well, no, I don't think that's the right thing. I'm not from the right clan. I'm not from the right group. I, I shouldn't be son-in-law to the king. Just, we don't exactly know why, but at the time when Merib, Saul's daughter, should have been given to David, she was given to this other guy. So it seems like maybe that's solved itself. But now the next part comes. Now, verse 20, Saul's daughter, Michal, loved David. So there's like echoes of Jacob and his wives in here, and there's this kind of like frozen, older sister, younger vibe, sister thing that's going on here. One of them had to let it go probably, but I thought that was a better joke than the last it got. Now Saul's daughter loved David, and they told Saul, and the thing pleased him. So Saul thought, this is verse 21, "Let let me give her to him, she'll be a snare for him, and the hand of the Philistines will be against him. So Saul said to David a second time, this is verse 21, you shall now be my son-in-law. And Saul commanded his servants, speak to David in private and say, behold, the king has delight in you and all his servants love you. So come on, come on, do it. Become the king's son-in-law. So Saul's servants spoke these words in the ear of David. And David says, do you think it's a little thing to become the king's son-in-law since I am a poor man and have no reputation? Kind of sounds like Aladdin, you know, like during the magic carpet ride. And the servants of Saul told him, no, this is what David said. So Saul said, this is the point, it's getting to the point now. He says, okay, do this. The king doesn't need a bride price. You don't have to come up with a bunch of money. All you have to come up with, get ready to have your head kind of messed with. All you have to do is bring me a uh, hundred foreskins of the Philistines that he may be avenged of the king's enemies. Now Saul thought, to make David fall by the hands of the Philistines. So he says, all you have to do is bring me the proof that you've killed a hundred uncircumcised men because we know that the Philistines aren't circumcised. I would prefer to not have to think too deeply about that. You, can you join me there? Good, Jack, you're with me? Okay, good, yeah. It's weird, I don't get it. The reason that, I, that it, it's said like that probably is it's proof that these were all Philistines. So he says, if you can come back with proof that you've killed a hundred of our enemies, I will give you my daughter. And his thought is, no way he's going to be able to pull this off. But we know something right here that Saul had forgotten right here, which that is if God is with someone, what challenge is too difficult for them? This is all going to something really helpful when we get to the end of the story. Come on with me. So when his servants told David these words, he pleased, it pleased David. He was like, oh, I can do that. So before the time had expired, David arose and along with his men killed 200 of the Philistines. And David brought their foreskins, plastic bag, like, I don't know, it's weird, (laughs) which were given in full number to the king that he might become the king's son-in-law. And Saul gave him his daughter, Michal, for a wife. But when David, this is the end of the story, but when David saw and knew that the Lord was with David, and that Michal, Saul's daughter, loved him, Saul was even more afraid of David. So Saul was David's enemy continually. Okay, I've told you all of this story now so that I can hopefully try to help us in our lives. And I want to just for a second, we're going to talk about how Jonathan responds well 
to his opportunity to be jealous of David. And Saul responds poorly. And because of that, Jonathan is blessed and Saul is cursed. For a second, I just want to remind us that we're not talking about this because you didn't come to church today, hopefully, so that you can have an easier or happier or more peaceful life through these great tips and tricks that you're going to learn. Uh, I'm not an influencer, and we're not trying to help us be better. We're trying to learn from the holy God of the universe who gave us these words on a page in a book to help us learn about Jesus Christ And when we honor Jesus Christ, God blesses our lives. That's a little different than three tips to have a better Tuesday, Jack. Do you know what I'm saying? So let me go right here. Blessing what God is blessing brings joy. And cursing what God is blessing brings misery. It's the simplest way that I can frame it to you, what this story is teaching us, that when you bless what God is blessing, joy overflows. Jonathan was able to see Whatever I feel about what I thought my future was going to be, what I can tell with certainty is God is with this guy, so I'm going to get on the page of what God is blessing. And Jonathan is blessed because of it. Saul, it's over and over you see it in the story, he has enough understanding to see that he can't stop God blessing David. Yet he can't stop himself from getting in the way of trying to destroy David. And all that does is bring difficulty to Saul. So uh, a few things in this story that I want to bring out. Number one, just because uh, I don't know if you know this or not. So if you're not, this doesn't ring any bell for you. I just want to help for anybody who does. There's a whole thing out there uh, in the culture today that think that this story is teaching that David and Jonathan were secretly gay and in love with each other, but it was written down in this cryptic way that we were supposed to uncover. You can, if you're like involved in any of those deconstruction worlds, that's what a lot of people think. Uh, I don't think that that's a, I know that that isn't a good reading for this reason. Uh, we should be really aware of reading the 2020s onto the Bible in the same way that we shouldn't read the Bible onto the 2020s all the time. It's not like a perfect match for match culturally. So the people that are telling you that are telling you that because they're trying to see it, not because that's what the Bible says. They're seeing something and they're like, whoa, these like two guys really cared about each other. That must mean secret, cryptic, secret, cryptic. And I would just suggest, I said this earlier, and I, just, I think this is an important thing for all of us to understand. We're living in a, a world and a time, you see it everywhere, there's an epidemic of loneliness. People talk in culture and in academia and all over the place that people spend less time together than they used to. And ever since COVID, there's this general sense that people are more depressive and lonely than they've ever been before. And a big part, I would suggest to you, of that loneliness epidemic is the cultural pressure to see all non-family emotional connections with other people as sexual attraction. It's what the movies that teenagers watch and the things that are happening in the culture, if you're not seeing all this, then you're away from, but there's this idea that you have your family and then everybody else is maybe somebody that you sort of want to date or hook up with. And it robs people of this whole layer and lane of really important relationships in their life. Tito, come here, you're in the sermon. Don't worry, it's okay. (laughs) I promise, it's okay. Uh, This is my dear friend, Tito's one of our deacons and uh, he, uh, we've been praying together. I haven't seen you for a while because your family is juggling a whole bunch of things. In fact, I'm gonna pray for you before you leave the stage. Uh, 
all kinds of family members sick, and your son, who many of us know has been having a rough time. There's just a lot going on. And when I saw you this morning, you told me you were coming to church, but usually you come to later shift. And I saw, I mean, I literally came in, and it was like a bear hug of joy because you, we've been known each other a long time. We've prayed together through a lot of ups and the downs. You've been a huge part of you and your family of building this church, and we have a connection. We care for each other. And when people fall into this trap that the culture is pushing, they lose out on the joy that comes from all of those. Do you understand what I'm talking about? So I just want to pray while you're standing here. Lord, I pray for Tito and Sarai and their whole family and all the challenges that they're facing, that you would bring healing and wholeness and give them wisdom to navigate every single thing that they're trying to figure out. In Jesus' name, everybody who agrees, please say amen. amen. So here's the main now point of the story. That was just a little thing I wanted to throw in. For a lot of people... Jealousy takes control and robs them of the joy that life wants to give them. Do you see that? Saul is the king of Israel. He has whatever he wants to eat and wherever he wants to go and whatever he wants to do. He is at the apex of whatever you could do 3,000 years ago. He has all of it at his disposal, but he is miserable because he is fixated and focused on the one person who seems to have more than him. And we live in a day and a time, friends, I'll say it for myself, maybe you can see you here, yourself here. We live in a day and time where we have so much amazing stuff in our lives and so many people are miserable. And the reason for it, one of the reasons I think, is it's so easy to get focused on, I wish I had what that person had. I saw my friend Peter come over, come this morning. He's in the glowing sunlight right now, and he has a tan because he was on vacation recently. And he's already more handsome than me on my best day, and I saw him come in this morning through the parking lot, and I, I had that thought to myself. Am I going to be thrilled that my friend just got back from a vacation and still has a little tan? Or think about the fact that I look like I haven't had any vitamin D in my skin in 15 years. What's the thing that I'm going to focus on? And I'm telling you, one of the keys, for, I'm telling you, one of the keys to loving Jesus and honoring him well in this day and time that we're living in is to develop the discipline inside of me that I am not going to be one of those people that gets miserable when other people have good things happen to them. I'm going to be one of those people that trust God that I have everything I need for the day I'm living today. And I'm not going to get bogged down in all the stuff that I used to have or wish I had or could have had or should have had. I'm going to be right here and say, God, you got me here. I'm in a free country. I'm in your love. I'm in a church of people that like accept people the way that they are. Apparently, there's free food after the service. It's like pretty good right now. But we need to pay attention to the signs that jealousy is taking control. I want to show you three of them in this text. Uh, first, remember that part where it said that the women sang to one another. Saul struck down his thousands, but David his ten thousands. And Saul was very angry, and this saying displeased him. One of the signs that jealousy is taking control, I have three and you can write them down, is that I don't find joy in success. I only find frustration in comparison. I get pretty good. I mean, the whole country, all the pretty girls were out there singing, Saul's killed thousands, Saul's killed thousands, Saul's killed thousands. He was so focused on David and his ten thousands that he didn't find the joy in a whole bunch of people singing his name. I see this so vividly uh, in my kids and their experience playing sports, where no matter how good you are and how hard you work, you're always going to find some other kid who's better. 
Yesterday we were playing a game and there was a sixth grade, a seventh grade kid playing against us who was six feet, like six inches. Yeah, with a mustache. Okay, Jack. Yeah. Okay. Sure. Like I don't know, but like, cool. God bless him. I don't know. It's so easy to lose your joy in the good things that are happening because you get focused on comparison to other people. I want to show you two more. So then it says again. I want to just show you this next part. We read this before that a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre and he did this day by day and Saul had a spear in his hand and Saul hurled the spear for he thought I'm going to pin David to the wall. What's sad is the one thing that was bringing Saul comfort and rest from his struggle in his brain and his life. The one thing that was bringing him rest was when David played music, it made him feel better. Now he lost that. It shows me that uh, one of the things that happens when jealousy takes control is it used to bring me rest, and now it doesn't. When you get focused and fixated, the things that you love can become things that don't bring you joy anymore because you can be so focused on how they're not perfect that you lose track of how great they are. Uh, I'm blessed to be at a point in my life with my wife where we are past pretending that each other is perfect. Or even on a pathway to that, especially in her case towards me. And you start out with this idea when you're young that I'm going to find the whole package. Really fun person who's also really disciplined and responsible, who loves to eat but also stays looking good and loves to exercise, but also loves to sleep and wants to have fun. And it's like, I'm just going to find someone who somehow is magically able to live like 60 hours a day and make good use of all of them. And then as you start in for a few relationships or you get to know a few people, you slowly realize that for every wonderful thing about a person that you end up with, there's a corresponding frustrating and challenging thing that goes along with it. For every, uh, for everything that brings you joy, it's not that it's a totally separate thing. It's actually the same thing, just when it's reversed, that becomes frustrating and challenging. And I'm at the stage in age in life now where you see people, maybe you're there, that you thought would never break apart, break apart. And one of the reasons that it happens is it can become really easy to take what's awesome about the person that God gave you for granted and start fixating on the things that they don't have. It's the thing that used to bring you joy, and now it doesn't, not because of any other reason than I chose to think about it in the wrong way. If Saul was thinking clearly, what he would have said is, maybe I wish I would have killed the giant, but thank goodness this kid's here playing music because that's the only thing that calms me down. He lost something that was really good for him, and then the third thing, third thing, signs that jealousy is taking over. Now Saul thought to make David fall by the hand of the Philistines. That's what it said in the text. The way I know jealousy is taking over is I don't care who it hurts. I want them to fail. That's when jealousy has gotten to, to covetousness, to sin, and you're on a really bad path. If you don't care who it hurts, I just want that person to fail. I just want them to not succeed. I don't care what it means. I just, like, if they can't have it, no one can have it. I don't care if I have to 
burn the whole place to the ground. Some of these like, crazy stories you see in media about the way uh, when marriages break and parents hurt the kids because they know it'll hurt the other person. That's when jealousy, discontentment has taken over and it causes crazy damage. So we want to think different and we want to be better because of who God is and what he's done for us. Uh, this is one of my favorite quotes. It's from Teddy Roosevelt, the president. He's the one with the funny mustache. Comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison is the thief of joy. And the scripture talks about this like crazy in 2 Timothy 4 and in Luke chapter 12 and in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and Proverbs chapter 14, all over the place, there are verses in the Bible that say, when you are joyful and choose to be thrilled with what God has given you, that is the number one key to being happy in your life, is this is the family that God gave me. This is the body that God gave me. This is the intellect that God gave me. This is the place that God chose me to live. This is the direction that I have. And it can become so easy to be like, life is going to be good when I can move over there. Life is going to be good when I can get away from him. Life is going to be good when I can finally X or Y or Z. And when we get on those paths, they never end up satisfying. Because we've talked about it before, but I'll say it again. The thing that's crazy is you can vanquish your rival and then a new one shows up and you're still unhappy. You can climb to the top of the hill of the thing that you're trying to get after and realize you're no more happy than you were before. So the gray space uh, today, really simple. This is the end of the message. They're going to come play. We're going to pray together and then we're going to be gone. Uh, God isn't looking for world records but personal bests. He wants me to run my race well, not focus on the pace of others. What we're saying is very simple. I want to read you a verse. What we're saying in this is very simple, but I think it has a lot to bear with how many people around us are just really struggling and really, really unhappy is because of this intensive focus on what other people have. This verse has been helpful to me. You might want to write it down. This is 2 Timothy 4 and verse 5. Uh, This is Paul, and he's writing to his protege, Timothy, and he's trying to encourage him along. So it's an older minister of the gospel to a younger one, and he says this. As for you, Timothy, always be sober-minded, endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, the last part. He says, fulfill your ministry. Fulfill your ministry, which is another way of saying, run your race, take your path, do the thing that is in front of you. And I just wonder how much joy could come to your life and uh, to my life. I wonder the way that your outlook could change. Not if you finally found the partner, fixed your spouse, lost the 20 pounds, got the car, got higher sales than that guy, finally felt like you had a better house than your college roommate, whatever, 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 whatever. If we just figured out a way, believing that God has us right where we are, to learn from this lesson from 3,000 years ago and from the way that as I'm talking, I can see that we all know on some level that this is true, is to enjoy and be blessed and thankful for the things that God has given us and to maximize them for his glory and our good 
and to stop focusing on our desire to have what other people have. I think that's good news today. Anybody? I think it's really good news today. Let's pray together. So, Lord, uh, I'm just asking today that you would free us from the ways we get bogged down in looking at what other people have, the ways we get bogged down in wishing we were on the track that somebody else is on, the ways that we lose joy in the life that you've given us by the negative rolling it over in our heads that is so easy to do. I'm asking, Lord Jesus, uh, that you would help us and bless us and encourage us and strengthen us to walk the path that you have in front of us, not looking to the left or to the right. We're trusting you, Lord, and asking for your help. In Jesus' name, if you agree, please say amen. Why don't you stand to your feet? It was good. I was worried the band was dead. Uh, we're thrilled that you came to church today. There's some people that are here to pray with you if you'd like. Um, if you need to talk to somebody, we're going to be downstairs in just five minutes, starting to eat some food and enjoy some time with each other. We would love the opportunity to gather with you and minister to you and uh, just encourage each other. And we'll be back again next week. This is good news, everybody. Thank you so much for coming. This has been the Good News Neighborhood Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you've enjoyed the song. I hope it's been helpful to you. We'll see you again soon. This is good news.